If you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 12. We will only be in Nehemiah for a few more weeks, but we're going to finish chapter 12 today. Um, Last week, though, we looked at, Jason mentioned it with the kids, we looked at why Israelites weren't just like knocking down the doors and the gates of Jerusalem to live there, right? It's potentially dangerous. Uh, There wasn't a whole lot of options um, as far as land ownership and some other reasons. Um, There were some people who drew the short straw, right, one out of ten. But then there were some people who chose to live there. And they were a fantastic example of what it looks like to sacrifice for others. And they, they were people that knew, it seems, uh, that knew that pursuing God's plan for their lives was more important than pursuing their own plan. They set aside convenience and comfort for the sake of the name of the Lord. And in, in kind of a pre-Christ-like way, they were demonstrating Jesus in what they did and how they sacrificed. And Christians, we're called to do the same thing today, aren't we? We're called to give of ourselves. It sure uh, seemed like these people in Jerusalem understood that their city wasn't just another like icon on a map. Right? It wasn't just another old town. Their city was one that was important to the name and worship of God. So, so far we've seen the walls have been fixed. They're reconstructed. Great. We've seen that the word has been read to the people. We've seen that revival and renewal have come as a result of the word being read and the spirit being poured out. And the followers of God, of Yahweh have been identified now. Those lists that we've preached through with all those unusual names, those were God's people by name being listed. Okay, Now it's time for it all to come together. And we're going to see that in chapter 12. It's finally time to dedicate to the Lord what he has brought about. So look at verse 27, and we'll begin reading there. When we're finished, we'll have a word of prayer. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netaphethites. I'm going to butcher these again this week, so just forgive me. Also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves. And they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. After And after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Mashalam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Melali, Gilali, 
Galiah, I'm not sure, um, Maya, Nathanael, Judah, and Hanani with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra, the scribe, went before them. Verse 37, at the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the, on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yashana and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel, Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God and I and half of the officials with me. And the priests, Elikim, Eliakim, Messiah, Minamin, Minamin, <laughs> Micaiah, Eloni, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Messiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehananan, Malkijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Verse 44. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests, for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Let's pray. Lord, we could read this and we could think this has nothing to do with Ramsey Creek in 2023 with our area. Uh, and, and I pray that we'd be able to move past that thought and see instead, uh, Lord, what it means to be dedicated to you. What it means to put your ways first. What it means to have orderly worship. And so I, I pray that you would teach us today, Lord, as we read about wisdom earlier, we, we continue to need that wisdom, Lord. And so we pray that you would grant it, uh, not just for us to be puffed up in pride or arrogant at what we might know logically in our heads, but instead, Lord, that it might prove useful in our lives, in how we relate to others who are hurting, and how we give and how we sacrifice for those that we care about. So, Lord, we pray your blessing on this time and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you want to just mark it down in your notes, First Chronicles chapter 24 it talks about the, the wisdom that God gave David in kind of setting up these different uh, groups of priests, um, 24 groups to be exact. And according to this, this plan that God gave David, 
two groups of priests for each month of the year would would work. Okay, they would be offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. They would be required to be at the temple and those sorts of things. And so basically each priest had a job for two weeks of the year to be in the temple to work. The rest of the year, for the most part, depending on the year, for the rest of the year, though, they would return to their homes and that they would work on stuff that normal, everyday folks worked on. They'd work in the fields. They'd sow a garden. Um, they would raise their kids. They were The fathers were responsible, whether they were at the temple or in the home, those fathers were responsible for teaching the kids the Torah and the law of God, like we hear in Deuteronomy chapter 6. That was their job all the time. If you think about some of the Old Testament priests, you can think of um, Eli, Samuel, some of these, they had families, right? And, and unfortunately, uh, they didn't lead those families all that well at times, um, but they were responsible for them. And so their their jobs were more than just service in the temple 24-7 year-round. They had homes. They had families. And so that's why I think in verse 27, it mentions how they have to go out and, and call the Levites back because they were out uh, dwelling in their places. Okay, uh, They were living their life. The ones who weren't there were out, and they had to go get them. And it would have been the same deal with the priests. They were scattered around in the area with their homes. Remember, for like a 100 years, Jerusalem was not uninhabitable, but you didn't really want to live there. That's why they had to draw straws for people to live there even now with a wall finished. It just wasn't a place that you wanted to be at that point. Well, now things are changing. And this is a good thing. And Nehemiah is instituting this and he's commemorating this with a dedication service to the Lord. And so part of the responsibilities of, of those who led in the temple were, was music, was, was worship in that sense. They would lead the singing with the accompaniment of musical instruments. And so verse 27 mentions some of those, uh, harp, the lyre, cymbals even. Later on, they're going to mention trumpets being used. Uh, so all of those things plus, you know, vocal cords, right? Those are an instrument given by God. And they're all being used for his praise here at the beginning of this dedication service. So if you couldn't tell by reading through all of this, the plan, Nehemiah's plan, was this was going to be a, a an elaborate worship time. Now, not elaborate in the sense of like hoity-toity and like we're better than everybody else. You know, that not like that, but like a really special commemorative time. And you can see how it's described in verse 27 with gladness and thanksgiving. Gladness and thanksgiving. That's what really personified their worship service. And look at what happens in, in verse 30. The people respond by, by purifying themselves. They, they, they're talking about the priests and the Levites. They purified themselves. They also purified the people and the gates and the wall. And so this was inevitably ceremonial washings, purification in that sense to some degree and it wasn't i think it's it's cool that some of these details are listed here because it wasn't just the, the levites and the priests who did this they weren't the only ones celebrating that day they weren't the only ones involved in the sacrifices and the ceremonial washings the people were included here too not just the spiritual leaders the people did they and i think that that shows that they knew that they couldn't worship god the way that they were told to if they didn't go through this step of obedience to purify themselves. 
to be washed clean in that sense. I think of Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Remember, Jason was talking with the kids, chapter 5, the Jews had to be told to stop cheating each other, right? Take care of one another instead. And so there may have been many at this point who still needed to repent of those things and to be cleansed from it. But I think it's interesting that it lists not only the priests, the Levites, the singers, the people, but also there's a couple other things that are purified that might be kind of curious. What else is listed? The, The gates and the walls, they're purifying them. Now, why would they need to be cleansed? It's kind of a silly question, but what had the gates or the walls done wrong to need to be cleansed from? If the priests, the Levites, and the people needed to be cleansed from sin, why were the walls cleansed? Why were the gates cleansed? And I think the idea here is is the ceremonial aspect of this, the the washings in that sense, the cleansing. The people were, were purifying not only themselves for the Lord, but they're also purifying their city, the very city itself that God had given them. They're saying, Lord, we want this to be clean for you. We want it to be pure for you. We want it to be used for your glory, not just our own selves, but we also want the city that we dwell in. And, and so they set themselves and their city apart for the right worship of God. I think that's what's going on here. They were making this statement, and this is an important statement that we'll come back to later on today. They made this statement, our lives revolve around God, not ourselves. Now, God had given them the task to complete the wall. He provided the means, the protection, the leadership. All of those things were put in place. The people did that work themselves, and yet here they are at the end, so to speak, saying, Lord, these walls are yours. And they they purified them in that sense for that reason. Our lives revolve around you, not us. Now, and I wonder in these things, like, what would... What would our lives look like if we said this kind of thing in, in areas that the Lord would lead us to? Now, I, I'm not suggesting that you go out with a bottle of holy water and sprinkle your vinyl siding on your house and dedicate it to the Lord. And yet, I think there's some wisdom in saying, Lord, this home, as a church, we say this church structure is for you. It's not for us. Lord, our, our, my family is yours. My life doesn't revolve around them. My life doesn't revolve around uh, my work or my hobbies. My, my life revolves around you. And I wonder if we really took that seriously, what might change? Would our dreams and goals change? If we said, Lord, my life should be revolving around you, not me. I think they would. Our lifestyles might even change. And so I think like the Israelites here, we ought to declare in a similar fashion, Lord, our lives revolve around you, not us, not my own plans, not my own hopes, not even my own dreams for what my life might be. Lord, my, I want my life to revolve around you, your plans, your ways. 
If we truly committed to centering our lives around the worship of God and not all the other stuff that our world tells us is more important, what might God do through his people? Look at verse 31. Nehemiah continues setting up the worship service here. He brings the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two big choirs from the people that were to give thanks and uh so he's just organizing things. Nehemiah's God has gifted him to do this. We've seen that all along in this book. God has given him leadership qualities that he uses for God's glory, and he's continuing to, to use those here. And so he's setting up this worship service, and he, he tells one of the choirs to go with uh, kind of half of the leaders and Ezra, and he goes with the other half and some other of the leaders, and he gathers them um, up onto the wall, and then without getting into all the details of the dung gate and the fish gate and David's, you know, all of these things, basically they're, they're going to go in a circle around the city and meet where? In the temple, in the house of the Lord, it says. So they, they do this, they're singing, they're playing instruments, and they go around the wall and they meet, verse 40 says, in the temple at the house, in the house of God. Uh, I mentioned this early on in our study of Nehemiah about the walls in particular, um, how wide the walls must have been. He brings a bunch of people up onto the walls. So we're not talking about a wall like this, like a brick's worth wide or anything like that. We're talking about many feet wide of a wall. This was a thick wall. A bunch of people are getting up on this wall. And it just makes me sort of laugh a little bit. You guys remember in chapter 4 where Tobiah is the antagonist and he's making fun of Israel and he, he uses his really, really awesome burn and he's like, if a fox climbs up your wall, it'll fall over. You remember that? Um, well, now look. Not only can a fox fit on the wall and it not fall over, but a bunch of people, like half the city maybe, who, uh, there's a lot of people up on the wall. It seems like it's kind of a, a pretty formidable structure. It's thick, it's strong, it's sturdy. And so it, it just it makes me laugh because what once was kind of a source of mockery now is a source of strength. Look at what God has done. No, a fox isn't going to knock the wall over. Let's bring the, the whole city up on it and show them how strong it is, what God has done here among us. And I think it just shows that it's, even today, and I think it will always be until the Lord returns, it seems strange to the world that God would ever use weakness instead of strength. Right? It seems strange that salvation comes through death. It seems weird that the kingdom of God is just not like the kingdoms of this world. And if you don't know the Lord, you don't get it. And that's okay. We don't expect people without the Lord to get it. But we want to invite them in and say, you, you can get it. There is, this does make sense, really, when you understand God. But it still seems strange to the world. Christ's sacrificial weakness is actually what gives his followers strength, isn't it? Even when life doesn't seem like it can go on, and you feel at your weakest... The strength of Christ gives you strength to move on and to keep going. I don't know if Tobiah was there to see this for himself, but the people who heard 
him making fun of them were, right? The people who were working on the wall, who were witness to his jeerings and mockings, they were there at the dedication of the wall. And so they, this, I think, would have just fueled their faith even more. What once people were mocking us about, now God has made a strength in our city. And I think this, this uh, surely would have been a source of great rejoicing too. Look at verse 43. We see it happen here. They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. Notice how many times rejoiced or joy is used just in these ver- this verse. They rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Is there any question that there was joy in the city? No. No, and I, I think Nehemiah uses repetition to make that really clear here. This was a day of rejoicing. And notice it wasn't just for a few people. It wasn't just for maybe those who had direct contact with building the wall. It wasn't just for the spiritual leaders. It was for everybody. It says even the women, the children, everybody was rejoicing because of this. And notice what verse 43 says at the end. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. We don't get a mileage count. We don't know how far away, far away is. And yet we got to believe it was pretty far away. Their joy was heard. Now, I don't want to split hairs here, but it doesn't say that their singing was heard far away. It doesn't say that the trumpet blasts were heard far away or the playing of the cymbals or the lyre or the harp or any of those instruments. That's not what it says. It says that the joy of the people was heard far away. Now, don't get me wrong. Surely the trumpet blasts and the cymbals and all of the singing and these things would have been part of that joy and the people outside the city walls probably would have heard that. Um, but I think it's, it's the cause of those things is what the people outside the city really heard. You see what I'm saying? It wasn't just the trumpet. It was why were they playing the trumpet? What gave them such volume and such joy in playing these things and singing this? It was, as Nehemiah has already said, it was the joy of the Lord who was their strength. It was the joy that God had given them that was the source of their singing and worship and of their volume. And I think it's the same for the church even now. It's the same source, right? It's the same cause of the joy. So we don't, or shouldn't at least, get all excited about the instruments playing and by our singing and stuff alone by themselves. Because you can go to any number of fantastic concerts where musical prowess and singing is on full display and it's not at all glorifying to God. Those things alone aren't what gives joy, aren't what causes us to want to sing. But beautiful worship comes out of God's people because of something that's happened within God's people. And so that's, I think, the joy that's being described here. That's the source of it. That's where it's really coming from. What has God done within the people? Yes, the walls are a testimony to it. They're an obvious, visible aspect of the work God is doing. And yet we've said it all along. God was doing more than just building the walls of Jerusalem back up. He was building his people back up. He was building right worship back up. And so people from far and wide are said to have witnessed the Israelites' joy. 
And to a large degree, you've heard it said, joy, happiness, smiling is contagious, right? If you, if you're having a bad day, just go watch videos of babies laughing. You cannot be sad watching a little baby laugh, right? Because that kind of pure joy is, is contagious to some degree. True joy, joy in the Lord is actually focused on something that's not found within ourselves. It can't be, right? Because in, when tragedy strikes, you have no more joy, and that's not how it works. So instead, true joy is rooted in faith. That's where joy comes from. What is the object of our faith? Well, it's our Savior, the Lord. And, and more than most of other things, joy influences people around you. So just some thoughts of reflection as we continue moving through this is, do people witness the joy that you have from belonging to the Lord? I'm, I'm not asking, do people hear you sing loudly in the congregation? Though I think those things can be tied together. Do people witness your joy from belonging to the Lord? Or do they just see and hear complaining and pessimism all the time? Now, don't think that you have to be the best singer in the house to sing loudly. Okay? Because I have known uh, lots of people who sing really well that don't know the Lord. And I've seen, I've seen and heard a lot of people that know Jesus that don't sound very good to the ear. And yet we know what pleases the Lord. It's those who sing because of what he's done in their heart. Not because of how, how well they hit every note or sing the melody perfectly or anything like that. Joy is certainly expressed in singing, and we see it in their dedication service to the wall here and their praise to the Lord, but it's not the only way that joy is expressed in your life. May we be people who rejoice in the Lord and what he has done, and may we rejoice with great joy, and may that be obvious and evident to everybody around us. And my encouragement would be, yeah, sing loudly. If God has saved you, through the blood of his son Jesus that we sang about this morning, why wouldn't you sing loudly? Moving on. Look at verse 44 through 47. I think that this chapter also teaches us that our joy influence, our influences our giving. In fact, our joy can be seen in how we give. The joyful spirit of this day of dedication flowed out of the giving or flowed into the giving of tithes, of, of offerings. They offered great sacrifices with rejoicing, but they, then they followed that up with obedience and giving. God had set up the, these structures of giving to the Levites and to the priests and to the singers and to these other, the porters, um, those people who were mentioned here and the people because of the great joy with which God gave them, they rejoice and they sacrifice and then they obey. You see that? The joy that God gave them led them to obedience. They were supposed to, verse 44 and 45 talks about how the priests and the Levites were taken care of according to the command of David and Solomon, which was according to the command of the law. And this part of the covenant uh, was one that they made sort of on themselves, they, they bound themselves to this. If you just kind of glance back to chapter 10, verse 35, 
Remember, this is the, the covenant that they signed. They covenanted to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. They said, yeah, we're going to do this, Lord. You've commanded it. We're going we're to make sure it happens. Out of our love for you and our love for those who you've given us to lead. Because it, it wasn't a burden to the people. I, I, I couldn't find any hint of that in the text. They weren't grudgingly saying, okay, I'll give it if I have to. They weren't saying that at all. It says, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Nobody twisted their arms to obey and to give toward the the ministry in the temple. Their giving was a response to the joy that they had been given by the Lord. And I think this, this kind of tracks with the life and purpose of Jesus, doesn't it? Because he willingly left the glories of heaven in order to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Not begrudgingly, not if he had to, but out of love, out of service. In a very real sense, Jesus joyfully went to the cross because of his confidence and joy in the Father. So joy drives giving. It's really as simple as that. Joy drives giving because you can, you can give without joy, but you can't truly have the joy of the Lord and not give. The singers, they did their jobs in leading the singing in an appropriate way. The gatekeepers also did their job. Uh, these, I think the King James Version calls them porters. Um, these are guys who would guard the gates of the temple. They would make sure that anybody who went in had been properly uh, cleansed. They were ceremonially pure before going in. And verse 45 and 46 explain that this is how it was from a long time ago. And this also implies that this is how it should continue going forward. And I think verse 47, the last verse in this chapter, really sums up this last, last section up. Uh, it says that Israel was actually doing a, a good job in providing for the things that God had set up regarding the temple. It hadn't always been this way. If you remember when they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles a few chapters ago, it hadn't been done properly for a long, long time. He mentions even from the days of like Joshua. It had been a while. And now it seems like things are getting back on track. And I, I would kind of sum it up this way. Kids, listen for this. I would sum it up this way. Right worship was being established, reestablished, in fact. Right worship was being reestablished. And it wasn't just for like the Old Testament Jews, like, hey, just do this in the right way. Because I told you to. New Testament church, you've been told to worship God the right way too. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, sums up worship in the New Testament by Paul just giving instruction to the church saying, all things should be done decently and in order. There you go. That kind of covers a lot of bases when it comes to what we do as a church. Are we doing it the way that God would instruct? Are we doing it in order? For the Israelites in Jerusalem, things were getting back on track. And even though the first temple had been destroyed, even though worship had kind of ceased and certainly been affected, Nehemiah and the people were reminded that God 
would continue to keep the promises, even the ones that he made to their forefathers, like David. God was going to be faithful. And this dedication of the wall was kind of this celebration of that fact. God has not left us. God has not abandoned us. Look at what he's done, not just in the building of the walls, but look at what he's done in the people. Their great joy was being spread. They believed that God's spirit was still with them and that God's people, uh, from God's people, his glory would spread over the whole earth. They were basically saying, our lives are not about ourselves, but they're about the Lord. They're about the Lord more than they're about us and their songs of praise and worship proved it. Um, their commitment to giving proved it. It proved that they were saying and living our lives. We want our lives to be about more than just us, but about you, Lord. And their joy in dedicating these things to the Lord was another evidence that they wanted to live for him. Now we're going to find out the unfortunate reality in chapter 13 that it didn't always go as planned. But God would keep his promise even when some of them didn't. So what are some takeaways from this morning? We finished chapter 12, one more chapter in the book of Nehemiah. Here's a big takeaway. If you know the Lord through Jesus, your life ought to be dedicated to fully displaying his goodness. Remember, what, what were the choirs made to do? To sing Praises of thankfulness, right? Is that our lives? If we know the Lord, are our lives dominated by a thankfulness to God? They ought to be. If you know the Lord, worship should be fueled by his love for us, not just our love for him. Because brothers and sisters, if you're like me, you don't do that very well sometimes. You don't show God your love for him very accurately oftentimes. But instead, we remember his love for us. Our worship is fueled by his love for us. It's fueled by what Jesus has done on our behalf. So don't be content in your sin. right? Don't think, okay, well, I don't always do it perfect. Nobody does. That's true. Except for Jesus, that's true. And yet the gospel would call us out of that mindset. Out of that mindset of just like, well, everybody does it, so it must be okay. Into the, no, that's not what God calls us to. And I want to follow him. I want to be, I want to be displaying his, his glory in my life as accurately as possible. I want the joy that's coming out to be a joy of the Lord that people know and understand. If you know the Lord, your worship in the congregation should be filled with joy. We ought to be the happiest people on the earth, right? Despite what's happening in our economy, despite what's happening in our community, in our own personal lives, we ought to be the happiest people in the world. We ought to have the joy of the Lord. One commentator I read this week said, the gladness of religion is not confined to set services of public worship. But when those services are held... It must flood them with the music of praise. It is impossible for the worship of God's house to be limp and depressed 
when the souls of his children are joyous and eager. I like that. It's impossible for the worship of God's house to be limp and depressed when the souls of his children are joyous and eager. And so I would just ask, is your soul joyous and eager? Life isn't always easy. It's not always an easy road. But God's people don't walk it alone. He's given us his son as a sacrificial gift to us. And he's given us his spirit as a comforter. So real joy is rooted not in the things around us, not in the things inside of us, but our joy is rooted in faith. And the object of that faith is Jesus. These are gifts that God gives his people. So just in final reflection of this morning and what we've talked about, just a couple of questions to ask. Can you say, I want my life to be about God more than me. I want my life to be dedicated to him more than me. Can, can you say, my life revolves around his plans, not my own. If you can't say those things, honestly, if maybe you're struggling with that, why not make today the day that you can answer affirmatively by finding true joy, not in yourself, not in your hobbies, not in even your family, but in Christ. Because that's the source of true joy. And that's the only way that people here could ever say, I want my life to revolve around something other than me. Because that's not a natural inclination of a human heart, is it? It's a gift of God that we glorify him with. And so if you struggle to say, I, my life is that way, in our time of this last song and reflection this morning, pray and ask God to set you straight. And if you don't know the Lord, come up, I'll be standing here and we can talk about what it means to follow him. But let's pray this morning. Lord, I would hope for your people in Ramsey Creek and in churches in Pike County and Lincoln County and St. Charles County and in Missouri and all across our nation and world, Lord, that our worship services are not limp and depressed, but instead are full of your children who are joyous and eager for more of your things, for more of your ways. And so, Lord, if we can't honestly answer and say our life is dedicated and lived for you and not ourselves, if our goals and dreams and thoughts and plans have overtaken the ones that you would have, maybe we don't even know or care about your plans for our life anymore. Lord, I pray that you would straighten our hearts out. That you would straighten our souls out to find joy and comfort and peace and rest and salvation in Christ alone. That we might cry out in our sin for him to save us, knowing that he is faithful and just to do it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would cleanse us this morning, that you would give us a joy that the people of Israel had when they dedicated the wall like this. And it would be one that moves us to give, not just financially, Lord, but to give of ourselves in support of one another, in, in loving one another better than we do. Lord, stir us up to these things.
we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.